I didn't know, Pastor Bill, forgive me, I'm going to get yelled at later. <laughs> Pastor Bill. Well, it is such a privilege for me to share with you this morning from God's Word. Uh, I want you to know I represent a, uh, a wayward child, so to speak. In the 19, early 1950s, a group left this church and started Harbor Trinity Church, Harbor Trinity Baptist Church, which is on the corner of Baker and Fairview. And um, that was, um, well, the reasons they left, that's, that's a sermon for another day. But they, they left, and uh, for nearly 70 years, Harbor Trinity Church has been a Bible-believing, faithful church in town, sharing the gospel and raising up disciples. God can use all things for good for those who love him, called according to his purpose. And um, I served there for about 31 years. I arrived in 1990. And I was the youth pastor, then the associate, but for most of that time, I was the senior pastor. And just last March, I retired. I just felt it was time to, to hand off uh, the leadership and the senior pastorate to someone else. And so um, it was a big decision, but uh, I really felt that, that it was time. And God has been in it. Just last Sunday, they called their new senior pastor. Uh, his name's Justin Chandler, godly young man, his wife and kids, just a wonderful family. And so uh, he wanted this week, I think, just to kind of get ready, but next Sunday will be his first Sunday there as the new senior pastor at Harbor Trinity Church. Exciting days are ahead for them. And so um, it's amazing just this connection of what God is doing in our city that, that Harbor Trinity, sort of your, your sort of daughter church going way back to the early 50s has just gone through what you're going through. It's amazing. In fact, there's another similarity that I know will bless your heart. Uh, during the fellowship time before church, they cut their donuts in half just like you do. Uh, so, so there's other things. God is working, you know. It's exciting. Starting to see what, what, what unites us uh, in, in the Lord. Uh, so we're, we're going to keep them in prayer in this new journey. And, and all of you, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? You're just starting what they are completing. But they saw God's hand in it. And, and the way he led was just beautiful and powerful. It was difficult at times. Lots of meetings, lots of talks, you know. But boy, God was in it. You're going to see the same thing. You're going to see him do things you wouldn't expect in your own lives, in your church. You see the power that comes out of being in a new place and depending on God in new ways. And you don't always like it. We don't always like it. But the Lord knows uh, what he has and what he has planned for us. So I give you that as a, as a word of encouragement. Uh, my connection here actually uh, it goes back a, a ways. Uh, to, I met Pastor Lee way back in the day and um, attended different events here as a youth pastor. So I've been connected to this church on and off uh, for quite some time. But more recently, it's been through Pastor Jeff. Uh, Jeff and I served as police chaplains here at Costa Mesa PD. So we had years together, and we'd be getting to know each other, and we'd be sitting in on meetings, and I uh, just really enjoyed him. And in talking, I learned something uh, about him, and I don't know if you know this about Jeff, but he really likes to go fishing. I don't, okay, some of you, it looks like you, you knew that. Uh, so so I, I like fishing too, right? And so I started talking to him, and I'm like, you know, hey, I would love to, to go fishing with you if you'd take me. And so he, just here recently, it finally worked out. And so we went fishing down at Crystal Cove. 
And, and I loved it. It was, it was a great time, but I learned something on that trip. If you go fishing with Jeff, you're there to catch fish. <laughs> He's there to catch you. I want you to remember that. And uh, in a sense, he caught me. He started uh, talking about the idea of me uh, sharing here for you. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I was caught. Uh, this is a great thing for me to do. And so um, Eric, uh, of course, was a godly uh, pastor and a dear friend. And uh, in fact, I, this is the church that once we retired in March, or I retired, Leah and I, my wife, Leah, were here. This is the church that we attended the most. And the first time Eric was here, and I've known him for years, just a friend and brother. When I got home, I get a text from him. And I'm like, okay, I, I pastored a long time at Harbor Trinity, and I wasn't necessarily texting visitors the, the, the minute church was over, thanking, but he did. And he's like, you're not a visitor, you're a friend, you know, and it just, it really blessed me. So my connection to him goes uh, way back. But as I said, Leah and I have, my wife Leah is right over here. You might want to say hi to her at least after the service. She is a fourth grade teacher at College Park Elementary. And she loves it. She's not even close to wanting to retire. So if you have a connection to teaching or College Park, or she teaches fourth graders, if you like acting like a fourth grader, whatever, she would, she would love to visit with you and uh, you, could, you can say hi to her. So that's a little about me, and now let's get to the Word of God. That's why we're here, to let His Word speak to us. I'm picking up with a series that was started a few weeks ago, as you remember. Pastor Eric uh, led us into this series just last week. Pastor uh, Bill continued with the series and did a, a great job, and I'm going to continue now from there. We're still in James 1, so if you want to turn there, I'm looking at verse 19. I think you see it in the bulletin that it has uh, where I'm beginning and what we're looking at today. And so um, let's take a look. I'm going to read it in two sections. So I'll start off with James 1, 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this time to be in the scripture. Thank you for this church that's gathered to worship. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, that all of our hearts would be open to your word. We'd be attentive. We'd retain the truth. And you would guide us in ways to apply it. And Lord, I pray just an outpouring of your grace and your mercy and your spirit on this gathered church family. Instill in them just such a sense of hope and expectation, even confidence in what you yet have for them. And Lord, I pray that each of us would just come away from this worship time closer to you, more excited, just more joyful, and that we have this loving, almighty God who is our own, who loves us, who saved us, not because we deserve it, but just out of your great grace and love and mercy through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, well, if you want to fill in the blanks, I was told some of you like to fill in the blanks, all right? So I think there's a few maybe on your outline, but the first point is this, receive the word. 
If we just back up and looking at the start of verse 19, it starts off, know this. It's saying, take this in your heart and your head and hold on tight. He wants this information to be known in a way that changes them. Sometimes we're, we're really um, an eager listener. The teachable moment is right there because our hearts and our head were ready. I had this happen. I mentioned going fishing with Jeff. We get there. We're there on the shore there at, at Crystal Cove. He's got all the gear, and he's a pro. And this actually, he really is. A, he, he gives lectures on how to teach. He really is an incredible expert. And um, I was thrilled to be standing there. And he gets out the bait we'll be using, which are sand crabs. And he shows me exactly how to hook it so it won't come off. And I was attentive because I wanted to learn. And then he showed me a little secret on how to make that sand crab. You do something with the shell, and it makes it look extra delicious to any fish who are out there. Now, I'm not going to tell you that secret. That's Jeff's and Jeff's alone to tell you if you go fishing with him. But it, it worked. We caught fish. And, but, but my point is, I was an attentive listener. I wanted to know what he was telling me. And so it says here, know this. Let's have hearts that say, I want to know. My heart's open, my ears, my head. I'm listening because I want to know. So it starts off, know this, to get their attention. But then he says, beloved brothers. Do you know James uses that term 15 times in the book? That's a lot. And he just wants to keep reminding them how much he loves them and cares about them. And maybe he did that in a little extra way, because you remember, he, though he was a half-brother of, of Jesus, initially he wasn't a follower, he wasn't a believer. And so he really was pushing Jesus and his followers away, right? Kind of keep them at arm's distance initially. And so now he's, he's writing beloved brothers. It's not that way anymore. I'm among you. I love you. I care about you. And so there's that, that sort of tender, loving address. Then he says, let every person, young and old, uh, men and women, boys and girls, every single person. And then it says the important thing here, which is our first point in the outline. Be quick to hear. Quick to hear. There's a readiness, an eagerness. If God's speaking, I want to hear it. And then he addresses things that kind of get in the way. And th th what he says is uh, slow to speak. I think there's two things that keep us from hearing. One actually isn't addressed here, but I think it's reality. We just zone out. We just zone out. If your minds, all of our minds are always going, right? That's just how it is. The thoughts constantly, everything on our list. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, even though someone is speaking, we're not hearing. We're looking. But, and, and a good speaker can tell because even though you're looking at them, there starts to be this sort of glaze on the eyes, right? Because we've, we've zoned out. And this honestly is a problem I have. As a child, I don't know if they used the phrase ADD or if it had been you know, diagnosed yet, but I probably would have had it if they did because I, I tend to struggle with the zoning out. Others, though, it's the problem pointed out here. It says be slow to speak. So there's those of us who are so eager to just share what we're thinking that the person's hardly said a word and we're interrupting. We're putting our own words out there. And we're quick to speak because we just want to share what's on our mind and what's on our heart. And I give you this, this cr cross-reference from Proverbs. You see that in your bulletin. When words are many, sin is not absent. 
but he who holds his tongue is wise. There's a great wisdom in not having to speak so quickly and just listening, just hearing what is said. And so that's, that's the challenge that he is giving them. He's saying, be good listeners. Receive this. Don't speak so fast. There was a woman at Harbor Trinity who served for many years, and, and sadly, um, her just cancer uh, took her life. She died uh, younger than, um, than you know, we, we would have wanted. But she just served the Lord. Her name was Bonnie. She was faithful. And she had an adopted daughter. And at the memorial service, her daughter spoke. Now, her daughter was really wound up and a real talker, real chatty, just really energetic type, always talking. And, uh, but she, she loved the Lord, and she was listening to him. And at the memorial, she shared this about her mom. She said, she goes, I remember one time when Bonnie kind of sat me down and said, just because you think it, it doesn't mean you have to speak it. And, and it, it got a hold of her. And she was willing to share that at the service. And, and I saw a change in this young woman as she just was not as quick to speak, but just better at listening and hearing. In fact, Lee and I talked afterwards, we were reflecting on Bonnie's life. And one of the things that made her such an amazing, godly woman is she would ask questions. She liked to ask questions and she would really listen for the answer. And so this is saying, be quick to hear and be slow to speak. Now, this was a particularly important for the people in these days because, as you remember, they didn't all have Bibles they could just go read. For them, when they, heard, when they received the Bible, it, they were hearing it because it, to have it in written form was extremely rare. You know, if James wrote this, wrote this letter, there might be a letter they had in the local church, but they had the one copy. They didn't all have it. So if they were going to retain the Word of God, it came down to listening when someone else read it to them. And so it was so important that they had just that willingness to hear. And then it talks about how you shouldn't be, right? Be slow to speak. I've covered that. But then it says slow to anger. He's given the impression, and you may have had this happen before or seen it. The Word of God is shared or read, and someone immediately gets defensive, and angry, and they push back. Maybe you've tried to share with someone something about what God asks of us, what, what we're called to be, what he expects of his people, and immediately they get all defensive, and, and they're just, they're getting angry, and they're just speaking. They're not hearing it. They don't have an open heart, and so that evidently was a problem back when this was written, because he's saying be slow to anger, and, and sometimes we're like, oh, I just need to, I need to just get it off my chest and just, and just say it, and, and it was interesting because uh, I came across this. This was from uh, Pastor Ortberg, who's uh, a well-known author, and this is in one of his books. He, he found this research. Here's what it says. Research on anger has reached a level of consciousness rare in the social sciences or excuse me, consensus, rare in the social sciences. Three major reviews covering dozens of studies over several decades did not find a single study that demonstrates that letting anger fly is an effective way to manage anger. It just creates more anger. What a study. And all the studies point to the same thing. And it goes all the way back to Scripture, doesn't it? 
slow to speak, slow to anger. And then it says why? Because anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that's what he wants of us. He wants us to be conformed into the image of Christ, to be righteous. And that happens when we're quick listeners and we, we hear God's word, we take it to heart, we're slow to speak and slow to become angry. But then it adds on in verse 21. It says, therefore, because of this, you know, you put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, all these sins of the flesh that just dog us, that get in our lives, that creep in, start small and it goes from there. And it says, put those away. That phrase, put away, as that Greek phrase was used to describe taking off just filthy, dirty clothes. And we can all relate to that, right? You've had times where you were working in the yard or you were on some activity or event. Maybe it was a long time ago, maybe recently, and you were just filthy, dirty, sweaty. Your clothes all the way, head to toe. And there was something that just felt so good about just being done with that and getting out of those filthy, dirty clothes. And you go inside and you clean up and it's like, yes, I want those off. This feels way better. It's using that same phrase. Because if, if you think it's great just to get out of those dirty clothes, how much better when we put away the sin in our lives? That filthiness, that stuff that just creeps into our flesh and we finally just, and God convicts us like, I just need to put that away. I just need to get that out of my life. And when God puts it on the heart, we, we just respond, and there's just something freeing about that. And it's like this just amazing burden lifted that I'm not carrying that around anymore. I'm not covered in that. And it, it's just a wonderful thing. And so he's saying that, you know, put away these things. And then again, it reemphasizes that hearing of the word. It says, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And I, and I love that phrase, implanted word. That's what the word of God does. Some of you like to garden or you like flowers in the yard or the, the window box. It's just your special thing. My wife Lee loves these things, right? And there's something about watching something grow. It started off, it's hidden. It's in the soil. You don't know if it's going or not. And then it, it just sort of, you know, breaks through the soil. It's taking root, and it grows, and it blossoms, and it's absolutely beautiful. There's something about it that just stirs our hearts, and we love it. Recently, I got so frustrated with the over-the-top, ridiculous cost of avocados. It's driving me nuts. Okay, I'm just being honest. I'm on the frugal side as far as people go in life. It's driving me nuts. So I say to Lee, I'm like, you know what? When we had, we had some avocados, we're going to start some seeds we're planting, we're going to get avocado trees in our yard. I'm done with it. If there's a square foot of space somewhere, we're putting a tree there. You know, we're going to beat the system, right? And so anyway, we, we put these seeds. You know how you've seen it where you get the clear sort of cup or jar and the toothpicks and it roots and it sprouts up, right? Well, so, so one of them worked. One of them did, and it started to root. And we were like rejoicing. It's working. It's working, you know? And then, it, but it didn't sprout up. And we're like, oh, no. It's just not going to go. And like, should we just throw it out? What are we going to do? And we're talking about it. Well, let's wait. The next day, we see this tiny little sprout shooting up from this seed. It was, it was great rejoicing in our house, okay? Maybe I made too much of it. But, but nevertheless, it was a great thing to see. God's word. Why does it say implanted? 
because it takes root in you and it grows. And it's just such a beautiful thing when it does. There's a peace that comes with it. There's a guidance. There's convictions. And it's just such a beautiful thing when we receive the word and it just starts to take root and fill our lives. And he knows that. James knows. So he's telling him, let it take root. Let the implanted word just be in you. And it tells why. Because it will save your souls. It saves your souls. Because with the word comes the gospel. It comes the gospel. One of the great verses we've all heard, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But just a few verses later, it says how we get there. How do we believe? How do we have Jesus? It says, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So this first point, we must be quick to hear. We must receive it. We must have open heads and hearts that receive the word of God. And as we're doing that, we need to put the sin out of our lives. And before I move on to the second point, just be praying. Maybe God's convicting you now. Maybe you haven't been as willing to hear his word as you should be. Maybe there's areas that have crept into your life. You're just like, I need to take that off like filthy old dirty clothes. But we need to apply it and just take it to heart. So it starts there, that willingness to hear and receive. But then let's go on to point number two. We need to act on what we have heard. It says, act on what you've heard. This is so important. I'm going to start in verse 22 and finish the chapter. Some people say that verse 22 could even be sort of the theme verse of James. It could be sort of the, the key verse of the whole book. So listen to it. This is verse 22. But, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So point number two, act on what you've heard. This key verse 22 says we must be doers of the word, not just hearing it. It's so important to hear it and take it to heart. But over the years, Many people have been hurt by people who are Christians, and they know the word incredibly well. They quote a verse here and there, never miss church. And they know the Bible. But when it comes to living it out, they don't. And they come across as harsh and judgmental, unkind or cruel, any other number of things. And, and it's hard for people because they're like, you know, they, they, I know what the Bible says or I get a sense of it. I, they seem to know it, but I don't see it in their, in their life. And so James is saying we have to do the word. We have to obey it. We have to live it out. And then he gives an example. This is a weird analogy, 
but he wants to get our attention, all the attention of those reading it. It's a strange analogy, you've got to admit. He's talking about a guy who looks at his face in the mirror and then, and then forgets. Now, in those days, mirrors weren't like we have them. They were polished metal. It could be copper or brass or tin. If the, the wealthy class, they were made of silver. And it talks about looking intently. Now, maybe because they, the mirrors weren't as good, so you had to look a little more intently to, to see your face. Or maybe people just liked looking at themselves, and so they kept doing it. I came across a few statistics on this that might interest you. A whole lot hasn't changed, by the way. It was an article, it's called Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. Men are the vainest of them all. Now, you notice that James refers to a man looking at his face in the mirror. And I well, he's just saying that. No. Okay, here's what this article points out. On the average, guys admire their reflection 23 times a day, while women only glance 16 times a day. <laughs> and here's what it also said. Women focus on the parts of their appearance that they feel self-conscious about. That's what they focus on, that, you know, that, that frustrates them. Guys, on the other hand, confessed to looking at their appearance to admire themselves. <laughs> for shame, for shame. This is, I just found this article, what could I tell you? And, and, it, and it gives this, this impression, and you read this in the Bible, what it says about a man looking at himself, but now it's taking it to a new level, and, and he must have said it because everyone could relate, and in a way he's saying it's kind of ridiculous. Who would, who would look at themselves and walk away and forget what they look like? Well, that doesn't happen. And we all know when you see a picture and you're among many others in the picture, it's a group photo, everyone knows it's just common knowledge that you immediately look at yourself. That's the first person you see. Well, we, why, and we know where to look. We don't forget what we look like. That, that's just silly. And so James is saying, yeah, and it's kind of silly and ridiculous to forget what God's word says and not act on it. It's not that way in real life with your own appearance. And why is it that way with God's word? You know, you know it. You need to live it out. And so he gives this kind of convicting uh, example to point out how important it is that we live it. And then he gives kind of more reasons why the word is just so good and helpful. It's the perfect law. There's nothing wrong with it. God's word is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the final authority for faith and practice for all of us. And so we look into this perfect law. It's used more generally there to refer to the Old and New Testament. It includes the words of Christ. And you see that why it says the law of liberty. You remember Jesus spoke of uh, the, the freedom that comes with his word. Uh, John 8, 31 and 32, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so it's saying, look into the word of God, the words of Christ. It is perfect. It brings freedom. You need to act on it. And it says this, though, as it looks, it says, perseveres. That's important to take to heart, isn't it? Sometimes as we're studying the Bible and following Jesus, we need to persevere. You know, Pastor Bill did a great job of touching on this last week under the idea of being steadfast. 
says, remain, I quoted him, he says, remain faithful, stay in place, endure as others go away. For some of you, you're entering a season of persevering because you've never been in a church that's between pastors. There's a whole new experience for you. And it may be difficult at times, but it can also be powerful. But, but it's a time to really say, I will persevere. And then it gives where that leads. You will be blessed in his doing. I've never met someone who doesn't want to be blessed in their life. We all want that. For us, for our kids, for those we love and know, we want them to be blessed. I just told you how. That's simple. Just a little verse you just maybe hadn't even paused on before. Just to hear the word and receive it and persevere in it, you will be blessed in what you do. What a word. And so we want to stay in the word and carry it out. And then it ends with some practical challenges here. For one in 27 or, or um, 26, excuse me, it talks about bridling the tongue again and how important that is. And then in 27, it brings up not giving in to the sins of the world to stay unstained. It emphasizes that again, and I've talked about that. But it also gives a practical example. Almost seems a little out of the blue, but he wanted to give them something to hang on to, specific. And so he mentions visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Well, why that group? Because in biblical times, that was the most needy group. They needed the love of Christ shown to them. They needed help. They needed people to gather around them and be there to strengthen them to bless them, to love them. So we picked a group that could be overlooked and saying, don't overlook them. Make an effort to care for them. Years ago, we went on a missions trip to Haiti. A Harbor Trinity teamed up with uh, the Avalon Community Church over on Catalina Island. And uh, they had a missions work in Haiti, and we just kind of went along. They were kind of include us. And we were fixing up the dorm rooms for this orphanage. And we did the girls and boys, and we were cleaning up and painting. And, and we got to the end of the day, and it was hot and sticky, and I was tired. And I'd been painting all day. And my attitude started to go downhill. And I'm just kind of getting over Like, isn't there someone else who could be, <laughs> could be doing this, you know? And, and I'm getting near the end, and I'm literally laying on this concrete floor, and I'm painting, kind of cutting along the wall uh, to finish. And, and I, my attitude's getting worse. And it's like in that moment, God just convicted me. And he's like, Rod, you spend a lot of time fixing up your own house. You won't help fix up a house for orphans? And it convicted me. It's like, wow. You know, we can be so self-serving sometimes and just so focused on us. And we'll put all our energy and effort into things we want for us. And I just had this conviction like, you know, would you help someone else when, when you're just there to show the love of Christ? And it was a moment I needed, kind of get me back in a good place. I need to do the Lord's work. What you're going through as a church, there may be a moment a lot of you actually needed. You may dig down deep. You may find yourself wrestling with just how much you're committed. But out of that will come some amazingly wonderful things. 
And I want to encourage all of you, your elders and your leaders are ready to shoulder something that is a huge burden. God is in it. He will strengthen them. He'll strengthen you. But it's a burden. And I hope every one of you says to them, I'm here. I'm in. You can count on me. This is my church. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. What do you need? God is in this. In his perfect way and timing, he called Pastor Eric here. And in his perfect way and timing, he called Pastor Eric to a new place, a new vocation. And he knew all along who he would call to be the next pastor. And he knew how you would grow, how you'd mature, how you'd serve Jesus, how you would be a light in this community. The Lord knew all of this. And I just want to challenge you to let's be doers of the word. Let's hear it and let's do it. And let this be a moment where you're just saying to your leaders, to one another, I'm here. And you may find yourself even more faithful. You're here more frequently than you were before because you're like, hey, we're going through a transition. There's just a power of the ministry of presence. I want to be present. I want people to see me. I want to greet one another. I want that. That's important in these times to so know we're here. We're in this together. And maybe God will use this as you're just saying, Lord, okay. This is a historic time. How many senior pastors has this church had over the years? This is a historic time. And you're saying, and I'm going to be a part of it through my prayers, my service, my love for this church family. Count me in, Lord. I want to help. I want to be a part of the good work that you're calling me to. This is a time to act on what you've heard and to give all the glory and praise to Jesus as you serve him together. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this scripture. And thank you for this gathered church family. You're such a good and awesome God. And the way you lead, sometimes it does surprise us, Lord. It's unexpected. And that reminds us you're God and we are not. And our lives, our eternity is in your hands. Thank you for that, Lord. There's no, else, no other place we want to be than in your hands and in your church serving you and giving our lives to just carry out the good work you've called us to. So I thank you, Lord, for what you've done, what you're still doing, what you will yet do in this church and in our lives. We yield them fully to you. We're saved by faith through your grace because Jesus died on the cross for our sins but he defeated death. He was buried, but he rose on the third day that all who believe in him would have life forevermore. We thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Rod, thank you. Wow. I'm caught in
so different to me and uh, realized I didn't have my ears in. <laughs> I go, man, it sounds pretty good, but it's a little quiet. Okay, if we're truly the body, this is the song for the body, okay? Just a couple things. I just want to say thank you to, to Pastor Rod. That was good job, brother. 
Say thank you to our worship team. Bless all of you. And yes, if we are the body, we need to be his hands and his feet. Amen, church. God bless you all. We'll see you all here again next week. Have a great week. Inside, I heard you call.